This is Life of an Architect, a podcast dedicated to all things architecture, with a little bit of life thrown in for balance. Being an architect is hell, and today, we're going to tell you all about it and have you listen in on this virtual therapy session. Thanks for joining us today. I'm Bob Borson. I'm Andrew Hawkins. And today, we're going to pull the curtain back and explain why being an architect is hell. I might be overstating it. Maybe there's another way to put it. But the premise is that architects tend to see things differently than most people. We're trained to see problems that other people don't. And once we've identified the problem, our typical reaction is to think that we can make it better. I think it's a fair way of looking at it. Yeah, I agree. Well, I heard an evolutionary tale a while ago that I have since co-opted into my bag of stories, and it has to do with how humans have evolved. The basic premise is that humans were originally designed to notice things that were atypical as a byproduct of just trying to stay alive. Think of a prehistoric Andrew Hawkins crouched in the tall grass of the Serengeti, and he notices that there's this one area of grass that's moving slightly differently than the rest of all the grass. And it's moving differently because there's probably something in there that wants to eat him, right? So we were programmed to notice things that are different or unusual or not behaving like they should be behaving. This ability to see things as they are and notice how they're different is a survival technique that has actually been evolved out of most people. Because we're not worried about getting eaten by stuff moving in the grass. Let's hope anyway. Yeah, except... That's true for most people. It's not necessarily true for architects who tend to see everything that is different. And it would appear that nobody else seems to notice the things that we tend to notice. Proportion, balance, scale, it goes on and on. Architects are visually assaulted constantly. And we don't have the proper support groups in place to deal with it. (laughs) No, we don't. You know, I actually wrote a blog post a long time ago called uh, My Secret Life as a Hooker Architect. I basically talked about my first job out of School was in retail architecture, and I pretended that I was at this 12-step program that was, was made up of architects, and I had to confess all the things that I was doing as a as a retail architect. Is, is that a, a bad retail architect or just the retail itself? The premise was basically that I knew what people wanted. There wasn't kind of some higher calling to what I was doing. It was It was trickery. It was, you know, metal studs and drywall. I'd have to keep water out. So I was giving yeah. the people what they wanted, right? <laughs> just just to earn a few dollars. Doing the bare minimum to get by. Yeah, I don't know if I'd say it was the bare minimum, but it was certainly the, uh, you know, the things you'll do for money. <laughs> you know, and in, in this case, it was doing the retail work that I was that I was currently doing. So I got you. All right. So the reason I wanted to kind of make this a topic for today, you know, the being an architect is hell is it kind of all started when I wrote a post under the same title three and a half years ago. And it was it was funny. I, my wife and I, we went down to San Antonio for a wedding and we we're in this super luxe hotel and the shower was a horror show. I'd come out and I'd say, man, that shower's terrible. And my wife would say, seems fine for me. And she starts talking about water pressure and the temperature and I'm like, no, did you see the tile layout? It was a disaster. There's all these misalignments and the recess niche didn't align with anything. And like they started the pattern in the left-hand corner and they ended up with remnant tiles on the right. And every time I was in the shower, it's all I could see. It's all I could think about. And she never noticed it. So in this post, 
I pointed out, I go, okay, here's the picture. Here's a picture of this crummy tile layout. Every space I walk into, you know, I look at intensely. And I'm sure you do the same thing. You know, you scrutinize, you evaluate, you process, you redesign every single space. I mean, that's no different for you. No, I don't know if I'm every single space. Because if, I mean, that would kill me, right? I would be so neurotic, I wouldn't be able to handle it. I think I've turned that dial down a little bit that some spaces I just, I don't do that because if I go down that rabbit hole, I'll get a brain aneurysm from doing it for too much. <laughs> Cause especially if it's, you know, someplace where I expect it, you know, I mean like a restaurant or just any sort of something that I know was really put up real fast and nobody cared about that kind of stuff. Cause nobody's going to see it that I can pick out one thing and it just snowballs into like a million. So your thing that you do to help salvage your, your sanity is if the space was designed with the intent of being evaluated for its design, you might look at it more critically than if it was a space that was more functionally driven or laid out. Yeah, I guess. Or just if I know, because, you know, as architects, we know which spaces are like somebody was supposed to take their time with this and which spaces that, you know, no one took their time with, Yeah, just as a general rule. So I try to be less consumed by it in those spaces that I know nobody cared. There was a time when I was blissfully unaware of what I always call unresolved plan geometries. Oh, yeah. This is probably gets me more times than anything else. Like if I go into a restaurant, the thing that gets me more times than not is how terribly the line for you to order your food is. And then where do you pick up your food? And where's the drink station where you get your beverages? And it seems like everybody's kind of crashing together because nobody thought about the flow from the front door to the counter to the picking up the food to where you get your drink to where you sit down. I get that for sure. Yeah, we have a we have a, a bagel place that we go to on the on occasion and we, we literally stop going there because it's laid out so badly that my wife goes, You're in a funk if I go in that space. Because all I do is <laughs> all I do is go, It's so stupid. We we ate there for, for years before we finally said, I'm not doing it anymore. Every time. I mean we're talking fifty times. I couldn't go in that space without telling my wife the exact same complaints every single time. And she finally said, that's it. We're done. We're not going here anymore. I love these bagels, but you're killing me. One of my favorite like taco places that I go to for breakfast tacos on Saturday mornings is that way. The line is sort of run through the middle of the space because it's a really narrow space. And, you know, they just laid it out so that they could have enough space behind the counter and they could do what they needed to do. And I'm sure when they laid it out, they didn't think, well, we're going to have people that are lined up out the door for four hours on Saturday morning because our tacos are so good. But that's what happened, right? So I go in there and I get really frustrated and I don't want to sit and eat because you're sitting there at a table and there's like 12 people in line right beside you standing at the edge of your table you know yeah somebody's crotch yeah exactly (laughs) that's the word that's bad that is bad you go couldn't you like push it so that they line up against the wall at least oh yeah and then I mean like even right now we're talking about it and my brain starts going oh well you know how to solve that problem is you do this (laughs) oh yeah I've redesigned that space about 10 times, right? It's hard for me not to just bring him a plan. I mean, I talk to him every once in a while I'm in there to just bring him like a new floor plan. Go, look, you should just kind of do this. Just move some tables around and do this and do that. 
be so much better. Yeah, I'll just hook me up with some El Pastor tacos. I know, right? Just some free tacos, and uh, we can we can solve a problem here, and everybody will be the winner. Exactly. So th- this kind of idea of you walking into a space and you either being successful at turning off your brain from evaluating like, oh, well, that sprinkler head is not in alignment with the the light fixture in this room. Like, I haven't figured out how to not do that. I don't know how you do it, but I can't. Yeah, I've just figured out how to kind of tone it down. I still do it. Don't get me wrong. It still happens. But I've had to train myself to kind of try to turn it down because I'm ridiculous. As I have this, you know, being an architect is hell kind of thing. There's a couple other categories where this kind of rears its head. One of them is, and I know you and I have had a couple conversations about this where your house is concerned, but it's an architect's own house is a constant source of, I don't know the right word. I don't want to say irritation, frustration. Maybe it's the two of those together. It's era frustration. Maybe it's consternation. I don't know. Yeah, it's something though, right? Where it's like you're constantly focused on the parts of your house that are not what you want them to be. Yeah, you know, and I think it's even worse when I'm a residential architect. I mean, I do houses for a living, and I have this sitting in the back of my mind that if anyone comes to my house, they're going to look around and go, uh, you're not very good. So there's this balance between what you know and what you can afford or what you're capable of executing. And I don't want to have someone come in my house and then look around and I go, hey, I didn't fix that problem because I'm putting my kid in private school. Or, you know, like, let me explain to you my priorities. As to why my house looks the way it looks. Like I need to justify because I'm going to be evaluated by the way my house looks. That's true almost of every architect. Another layer when you're a residential architect. But I'm the same way. My house was designed by an architect. It just wasn't built by someone who was overly concerned with being skillful, I think. I don't know if I want any other architects coming to my house today or ever because (laughs) I can see all this stuff. Or I'm just going to go through one day and hang a little sign. At all the spots that just drive me nuts and be like, yes, I know. <laughs> I know this. I see that this is misaligned. I understand. Thank you. Oh, my God. Can you imagine how funny that would be if you actually walked into someone's house and it just had like a, a little arrow and it says, yeah, I know. <laughs> right. Just post-it notes around. You're like, what is all this stuff? Um, just There's like hundreds of them everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> uh, that would be like really funny in my mind. And I would go, man. I should do that in my house, but I don't think I have that many post-it notes. Yeah, that's what I, I don't. I, I might as well just do the whole thing where they cover it with post-it notes. There's this one spot in my house. It's so terrible to me that it makes you not want to buy the house, but the rest of the house is okay, you know. <laughs> but you're like, oh. So there's this spot where I have a, a single slope roof with a, a high ceiling. It comes down to a short wall at a corner. And it just doesn't all match up right. The slope comes in and hits not exactly at the corner. There's this misaligned mess of sheetrock. Yeah. And it just, it it drives me bananas. In my dream of renovating my house, I'm ripping the roof off just so I can fix that corner. You know, (laughs) the whole roof of the house is gone. So I can raise it up the inch and a half that it needs to be so that it hits the corner properly. Man. So in my current house, which is another horror show, and I have a handful of stories that I want to talk through today, just so it's like, like I said, this is a therapy session. I need to, I need to purge myself of all this stuff. 
My house was also designed by an architect, but it was production quality construction. Yeah. But there's nothing in my house that I feel like I personally couldn't fix. I feel like I'm a pretty handy guy and I hate the texture they put on the walls, which is like pancake batter. Like, why would anybody do this? And of course, I know the answer to that question is because the walls are not level. And rather than actually have like a nice, smooth, flat wall that's well built, we're going to slather 80 pounds of drywall mud on there. So there's so much texture, you can't tell where the drywall seams are because otherwise you would so in my mind i'm thinking well i'll just tear the sheetrock off and i'll just re-rock that i'll just re-rock it myself i'll do that i can do that i got the skills yeah but the one of the things that drives me absolutely crazy with my house is it's got popcorn ceiling texture in it which if there was ever a builder's trick ever made that's it Right, like we don't have to make the ceilings flat or level or really worry about tape bed and floating anything because we're just going to blast it with this popcorn texture we have a Jack and Jill bedroom suite in our house. We only have one kid. So we basically took the other bedroom and we turned it into our daughter's kind of playroom. So she has a place where she can hang out with her friends and it can be kind of a mess. And I don't get upset, but I can just close the door if it's messy kind of thing. Yeah. When we first moved into the house, it had this really terrible, like wrought iron, super fancy scrolled ceiling fan. And I'm like, well, that's coming down because it's disgusting. <laughs> so I, I go up there to take it down. And as soon as I take it down, it exposes a hole that's maybe like a half inch smaller than the diameter of the of the motor that's attached to the ceiling. And I learned that the fan is held in place by a bungee cord. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, oh, you got to be kidding me. So I have to patch the hole and then tape bed and float it out. But I have to scrape a lot of this popcorn texture off because I can't float out the, the patch that I'm putting in unless it's kind of level. Yeah. So then... Yeah. Then I was forced with the decision, do I patch this little like two by two hole that I just fixed with new popcorn texture or do I take the time and effort to scrape the entire ceiling down and start over? So I had like a hundred things I was trying to tackle. So I said, I'm going to save the popcorn texture for another day. So I went and I got the stuff and I just kind of put popcorn texture on the two foot square area that I messed up. You got that spray can of popcorn. That's exactly what I did. Right. Yeah. So fast forward about nine months and it's summer and it's hot i'm not sure what happened maybe we got a lot of condensation there's a air conditioning the the blower unit is in the attic right above this room and we don't go in that room a whole lot quite honestly because if my daughter doesn't have company over she doesn't go in the room so i guess we hadn't been in this room for a while i don't know if it was weeks or a month or whatever so my daughter's gonna have some company over so i i think i'm gonna like vacuum the carpet or something and so I open the door and there's like sheets of popcorn sloughing off the ceiling. And I think I literally like shrieked. It wasn't the part that I put on. It all fell off except for your part. Your part was still perfect, but all the rest of it fell off. <laughs> Not right? all of it. That's like these... what it is. It's like your two foot square. Perfect. The rest of it was all <laughs> over the place. So I, I got out my, my broad blade spatula for doing drywall work and i scraped off the parts that were like hanging down like bandages from a mummy i mean just you know and of course it's all over the floor and now but it, now if you walk in that room because i'm like well i'm not going to put it back because now it's a lot but it's not even maybe it's like 30 percent of the room that stuff has fallen off but now i gotta scrape the rest of it off and so i'm not putting back the junk so now people walk in the room and i go don't look up don't look up don't look up <laughs> I had to I had to put all these post-it notes on the ceiling and say, yeah, I know. I know. I'm aware. I knew it. It's here. I see it. Yeah. So it's still in that shape of half gone. Yeah. Half popcorn. 
Yeah, you know, it's as embarrassing as it is since I'm talking about it. Maybe I'll take a picture and I'll include it in the show notes. Mm, yeah. You need to take a picture of your misaligned wall. Oh, I'm taking pick. a picture of that corner. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's there. You got to give it like a name. I, I don't know. I have to come up with something. But yeah, definitely it's there. I've got some spaces like that, too, though, where I, I started something. I think that's the other kind of problem about being hell is like I start something and then halfway through realize I could probably do this a better way. And then I stop because I've devised a new way to do it. That's better than the way I started. Does it just sit in that half complete state for like an unreasonable amount of time? Yep. Yep. That's the one. <laughs> I have a, I have a couple of things like that in my master bathroom where I was like, I'm going to fill this part in with some new cabinetry, but I got to build it myself because it's special. And because since I used to work in a cabinet shop, I can do it. Yeah. It's been sitting there half done for many, many years, unfortunately. Now that's, that should be embarrassing. Years. I get, yeah. I get year, right? No, it's, it's a, it's an S it's a multiple. <laughs> <laughs> but nobody really comes back there, right? So it's like, well, I mean, unfortunately, I'm the only person that has to look at it, but still. Yeah, and the truth is, you're probably the person who would be bothered by it the most. You've just become anesthetized to it since you see it all the time. I mean, I still, every morning I wake up and go in there and go, I gotta fix that this weekend. <laughs> but it doesn't happen. Yeah, as if this yeah, weekend exactly. is going to be the one. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, I don't know if you knew this. So in one of the posts that I wrote about the current house is there are a couple of things that I think that people can do with their house that are like really, really low hanging fruit. And it makes a huge difference. So it's like replacing your switches, replacing your outlets, you know, just because at a certain point, it doesn't seem clean anymore. Like the first house Michelle and I lived in was built, I think, in like 1917. And it had been painted so many times. The paint from the wall to the baseboard was like a quarter inch og edge now <laughs> i mean yeah. it's just and you couldn't you couldn't make it it didn't look clean i mean you it's like you look down there and you're like that's disgusting and so yeah. you go down there to clean it and you're like no that's like a hundred layers of paint it's not dirty it's just discolored it's a calico of paint painting your house is an easy thing to do to kind of bring some ownership in so my wife and i man let me tell you expert painters we can kill it yeah. So we decided we're going to paint this house. So when we moved in, we took it. The guy who we bought the house from, who we lovingly call Steve. Like I could just walk into some room in my house if my wife and daughter, and I could go, Steve. And then go, what'd he do? Because <laughs> we all know <laughs> he hid a lot of stuff from us. Because I don't think anybody could be that stupid. The stuff that we found. For example, when they painted the walls in the main living area of our house. They didn't move the couch and paint behind the couch. So <laughs> we walk into the house. It's the first time we've seen it with all his stuff gone. And there's a couch outline on the wall of a different color paint. A different color. Yeah. It's like, wait, is that a shadow? What's going on? <laughs> I was like, are you kidding me? This guy, he also had like, he didn't have great taste in anything. <laughs> I was going to say furniture, but then I thought, no, really everything he had was terrible. And he kept trying to say, hey, do you like that? You can keep that. And I was but like, you no. bought, but you bought his house. Yeah. Well, yeah, but he didn't do the house. He just decorated it. And he tried oh, to do okay. it like, he tried to make it. I mean, this was his personal house. And he was like, I'm going to make it ready. Right. So he got rid of all his stuff and he like staged it with other stuff. And some of it still had like the, the price tags on it and junk. Like he had these two big giant bundles of sticks that I guess are supposed to like lean up against the wall in the corner or something. <laughs> it's like the. The dumbest thing I'd ever seen in my life. And he's like, hey, you want those sticks, man? 
Those are brand new. You could totally have them. I was like, no, Steve, I don't want your sticks. <laughs> you got to take them. And he'd yeah, leave. I don't need that. And I'm like, I'd have to call him, Steve, come get your sticks. And he like, for the longest time, wouldn't get the sticks. And I made it like this personal thing. I was like, you're going to get these GD sticks if it's the last thing that ever happens in your life. Nice. Yes. Eventually, he did come and get them. Steve with the sticks. With the stupid sticks. So being judged by your house as a residential architect is a constant source of hell for me. Oh, yeah. Right. I can imagine. I mean, again, bad for any architect, but as a residential one, worse. Yeah, I haven't ever applied this looking the other direction. You know, if you're not a residential architect, what kind of hell does your house bring to you? Yeah. I never really thought of it that way. I, I really, it's very narcissistic of me, of course, because I thought, well, I'm a residential architect, and so people are going to judge me based on the quality of my house, and so I'm overly conscious about it. I never stopped to think, well, if you're a commercial architect, do you have these same kind of neurotic kind of responses to the things in your house that drive you bananas? Or maybe nothing drives you bananas. No, no. I think it's the same. I think there's a lot of things in my house that drive me bananas. Some of it I've done, you know. <laughs> Self-inflicted. <laughs> well, you know, because when I first bought the house, we did some rework. I redid a bathroom and or redid two bathrooms and some other stuff. And, you know, now it's been several years and I'm like, mm, I could have done a better job. Those tiles are a little crooked now that I can see. It's the same mentality, though. Even as a commercial or any other kind of architect, though, you still have the notion that somebody's going to judge you based on your house. Because if you, you know, you come into an architect's house, it should be like super cool. You know, it should be very architectural. If your house isn't that way, or if you've got those 800 post-it notes going, yes, I see this problem. I'm aware. You know, you kind of get downgraded a little bit. I mean, don't you think interior designers have the same thing that we walk in and go, that's an ugly couch. Oh, yeah. I'm <laughs> sure, right? Yeah, yeah. They're like, oh, my gosh, those wall hangings, the art. Did you see that garbage? <laughs> oh, great. That lamp, what a disaster. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Oh, my gosh, the throw pillows on that chair. Oh, it was suicidal. It was <laughs> suicidal. <laughs> That's a bit of a reduction. You go straight for the throw pillows? <laughs> At least I went with lamps. Hey, okay. <laughs> You know, I, I always sit there and go, of of all the houses, so my wife and I, we're on house number six, and we've we've done work on every single one of our houses, like personally, like yeah. sweat equity type work. Mm -hmm. And so as a result, you know, I got a lot of tools, I've developed skills along the way. I mean, there's certain things that I go, anybody can do it. You know, the difference between me and somebody else is I've done it a few times, so I'm, I've actually looked like I know what I'm doing. And I don't walk in and go, well, that was a DIY job. So Yeah, yeah. And and the longer that I've been in the residential gig of being an architect, I see a lot of how it's done. And I know what it's supposed to look like. So my standards for, and you know, and I think part of that's because I don't do production quality houses. I mean, most of the stuff I'm using, the builders that are building them, they're top shelf. I mean, they're the, they're the best. And so my standards are unreasonably high when it comes to my own house, for sure. My wife will say, hey, can we get this fixed? And I'll say, yeah. But if we want to fix that, we really got to do this other thing first. And, you know, I I tend to look at everything kind of big picture. And she's yeah. like, I, I just want to fix that thing right there, right there. Can we just fix that right there? And I'm like, no, no, no. It's an opportunity to fix all these other things of which that is a cog, right? Yeah, exactly. A piece, a component yeah. of the entire thing. Yeah. And she's just like, just fix that thing right there. Just get a new light switch. She's not super mean about it in my current house. You know, I said at the very top of my list is that this house might 
literally be the worst painted house I've ever seen. If they gave out awards for painting houses, this would have been the equivalent of a room temperature shrimp cocktail. That's what you would have gotten. Something that's going to like <laughs> blow up your intestines. And popcorn ceiling texture. We had like 800. Everything was like a different color metal. It's agony. I don't yeah. think people understand. It's like this little bug that's in my ear and it's there constantly. Yeah. No, I get you. Uh, you know, I had to, even like those small things, like you say, a different cut of metal and hardware. When I did some remodeling, I had to get some new doorknob or just two new doors I put in the house. And I tried so hard to find matching doorknobs from 1978, which is when my house was built, because I only needed two. But of course, I couldn't find them. And so the angst of I've got two doorknobs that don't match all the rest that make me want to just buy doorknobs for the rest of the house, even though they yeah. work just fine, right? I mean, even though they're all... And again, it's one of those things where probably I'm the only person that notices. I got them as close as I could to what was originally there. Sure. You probably have to really pay attention to know, right? I mean, I bet nobody that's ever been in my house will go, oh, that's a different doorknob. Other than me and other architects that I know would be like, oh, man, these doorknobs don't match anything you know it's like your architect friends are jerks <laughs> right <laughs> yeah they don't have to tell you that they notice it they just yeah, notice it exactly well the post-it notes help that's right they're like nice post-it notes next to the not matching doorknobs exactly <laughs> well you talk about sweat equity i'm so bad i've done work in rent houses because i couldn't stand things about the house i was renting oh yeah that i would redo things on my own on my own dime because I couldn't stand it. The largest undertaking I ever did was I redid, like re-sanded, refinished a wood floor in a house. It could have been a really nice floor and nobody had taken care of it and it drove me nuts. And so I spent forever like sanding it down and doing all the stuff and varnishing and redoing it all. Landlord got some really good equity out of me for that project. Did the landlord ever like acknowledge the fact that you did this? No, because he didn't come around much. I mean, I asked him, I was like, I'm going to do this. He's like, yeah, that's fine. <laughs> I think maybe one time when we were moving out and he was coming to show it to somebody else, he was like, oh, wow, the floor looks good. <laughs> I was like, yeah, did that three years ago, buddy. There's a young woman in our office, Danielle. Shout out to Danielle. She lives in a house with her husband, who's also an architect, right? So they're both architects, which I yeah, uh, I find I it know. really, I don't know how they do it. Not I don't specifically either. those two, but the number of architects married to other architects that I know are dozens. Yeah, I don't know how they do it either. I mean, I guess maybe someone can understand your neuroses a little bit better, but it just there are times where I kind of want to be out of that mindset for a while. Listen to somebody else's problems that have nothing to do with my world whatsoever. So my wife and I, we approach a problem differently, which I, I think is okay. I mean, that's the nature of two people in any kind of relationship are not necessarily come to the same conclusion. Heck, for that matter, what architects ever come to the same conclusion oh, yeah. based right? on yeah. the same parameters, right? Exactly. My crutch is whenever we're like hung up on a decision, I want to say, look, I'm a professional. I do this for a living, so therefore my opinion counts more than your opinion. I think I tried that once. <laughs> Went over real well, huh? Yeah. And she she wanted to kill me. 
Yeah. Well, she came back with the greatest argument ever. She's like, well, I live here too, so I, I think I should get a say in how it is. I go, that's pretty reasonable. Yeah. It kind of tempered my opinion about it. She listens to this show, right? No. Are you kidding me? Okay. So, so you can say whatever you want. <laughs> yeah. Who knows? It might still get back to her. But the thing that cracks me up is she'll go to any one of my houses and she'll say, oh my God, their house is beautiful. Why don't you do that for our house? And I have to just bite my lip and go, really? Really? Do you remember that time when I said we should do this and you like didn't think we should do that? Yeah. You know, people hire me because I know what I'm doing, except for my own family doesn't think I know what I'm doing. Yeah, I think that's okay. I would think. As opposed to the opposite. We've got those family members that want you to do everything. I need you to design me a house. I need you to design me a house. You're an architect. Do this. Do this. Do this. Yeah, right? that would be tough for sure. And I mean, because then it's like, well, you can't charge me for this. You're family. What What are you talking about? Are you kidding? I charge you twice as much because you're family. <laughs> Go back to the couples that are both architects. Yeah. I always sit there and think, so is one of them a designer and the other one's the project manager? I mean, how do you fit that role? Like, because you know that they want to do things differently. So they defer back to, but they still have that same husband wife dynamic, which we kind of know how that dynamic works. There's fights that we, we care about and there's fights we don't care about. Yeah. But not, not too many architects don't care about the design of the thing that they feel like they have ownership over. Sure. So how sure. do how do you step back and say, I'm going to let my spouse do what they want to do, even though it's a design solution that I think we shouldn't do? Because you know that happens, right? That's yeah, got to happen. Maybe you would be able to admit your strong suit and your weak suit as a architect. And so you're like, well, maybe my design eye is not the best. So you can design it and I'll figure out how to make it work and build it or whatever, that kind of relationship. But yeah, I would still assume at some point though, there's got to be that, well, we're both right about the same thing. Yeah. But we have different solutions. I think oh, that, yeah. would be, that would be agony for me. Yeah. I mean, it would be hard for me to give up on something like that, but maybe that's just my personality because I'm just stubborn. I think the architect's ego, uh, which will be another episode we do at some point in the future, kind of doesn't really allow us to step back in some capacities. And we always have opinions because that's what we're trained to do. We're trained to have an opinion about something. And we're trained to be able to articulate why we have that opinion. When's the last time you ever heard a skilled architect? I'm not talking about some goofball, but a skilled architect who's in a design position and they tell you what they want to do and you say, why? And when they go to explain it, their answer is, because I think it'd look good. Nobody says yeah. that. We all have reasons for doing what we think is the right thing. And they're normally, it's a 10-step process of, oh, we're evaluating the way communication would happen in this room and the way sun comes in the space. And I mean, there's like a million moving parts that we kind of internalize and process and spit out as a complete concept. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And so my wife and I, here's another example. And I, I need to make it clear, I'm not complaining about my wife. This is, I'm commiserating with people who probably listen to the show and go, yeah, I had the exact same thing happen to me. My wife, bless Let's her heart. Let's hope. I hope. <laughs> Let's hope that's what it is. <laughs> so like, for instance, even buying like a couch is not an easy thing in the Borson house mm. because I have rules and my wife has been really good about it. Like, I know that she's given up a lot because I have strong opinions like, on my couch, I don't want rounded arms. Yeah. I, I just I just don't. I don't want skirts on the bottom either. And I don't want to have three cushions on the couch. Right? And at, at first she would say, these all seem like irrational things. Like, why don't you want three cushions on the couch? What does that matter? No one wants to sit on the crack between cushion one and cushion two. 
So really, this is a couch that's made for four people that only three people are going to sit on. or It's going to be uncomfortable for a couple of them. Yeah. I go, can't we get like two cushions? Like, why? I mean, it's a big couch, but they could still just have two cushions. So that way there's two on the left and two on the right. So when we have couples over, we don't have to go, well, the fourth one's got to go sit somewhere else because nobody wants to sit on the damn crack in the couch. On the crack. Yeah. Yeah. No, I got you. I'm sure you've thought about this exact same thing when it comes to buying your couch. Oh yeah, for sure. I mean, for it's and that goes for everything, right? That's just how we are as a lot. Yeah. I think. Unfortunately, I have a three cushion couch right now, and it's it's even more annoying because it's two on the bottom and three on the back. Oh my god, how are you still alive? How have you not ended it? <laughs> <laughs> I don't sit on the couch. I don't care, right? It's like I don't sit on that couch. I sit in my chair. So somebody else has to deal with the couch. That would be like a hot poker in my eyeball every time I saw it. Yeah, well, one of those things that I've replaced in my mind 900 times, but again, <laughs> I'm going to get a new couch. Well, that means I got to get a new, get the new flooring. I got to do some of this. I got to do some of that because that, right. that's what the couch needs. I can't just put a yeah. new couch in the same old space. It doesn't work that way. Yeah. You got to fix the floor before you put a couch on it. Come yeah. on, man. <laughs> I mean, if I take the time to get the couch out and there's blank space, that's the prime opportunity to fix the other stuff. You know? Yeah. Oh my God. No, it's like a, it's a rabbit hole like process, right? And that's the problem, I think, with being able to extrapolate things out to from some small thing to the big picture, or vice versa. That's what gets you into that that second layer of Dante's hell, right? Like we're talking about, like that's just what it is because you your brain is always kind of going that back and forth, big picture minutest of details big picture minutest of details and that back and forth thought process puts you in hell for some either some really overarching large decision or some small minute one right that's like but there's this and this and this and this and all these factors that we have to put into this one decision because that's how we live our lives yeah because we're crazy yeah we're neurotic i think for the most part because i think it's an easy example to keep going to because there's so much fruit on this vine i think part of it is that at least from an aesthetic and construction standpoint we generally know how things are supposed to be done we know what people can do what they're capable of doing and for me part of it i'll use the tile in that shower that post i wrote yeah part of the thing that's so irritating about it is it's not like this is you know, high level thinking that's going on here. This is just, hey, let me ask a simple question first. My shower is this long. My tile is this wide. If I want to have it on this wall and have it not look like garbage, that means I need to have the first tile be three inches on both sides and it'll be symmetrical. This is not hard. This doesn't require higher level thinking. It doesn't require higher level math. It just requires somebody to think that first thought. That's all it is. And when you see it and it's not right, you think they didn't even do the first thing. They just start. Yeah. It's the construction equivalent of falling down. Like you don't make that decision. You just do it. Right. <laughs> That's what drives you crazy. Yeah. Yeah. Because for me on commercial jobs, we do acoustical ceiling tile. And that's the thing. I know that I'm the only person that'll ever walk into this space and look at the ceiling. But I walk in and it drives me bananas that somebody doesn't pay attention. All these whole ceiling tiles, two foot, two foot, two foot. And then there's like a one inch piece or some crap because they didn't, you know, <laughs> you're just like. Really? It was that difficult to just figure this out before you started. Yeah. Take the whole thing, divide by two, divide in half. Yeah. The other thing that really always irritates me about it is it's not like it takes that much more time, right? We're talking about how much time would it take to have done that? Like five minutes. If that. Yeah. Your one day of laying that tile in the shower, you could have taken two minutes to figure out that so that it looked right. You know when you point that stuff out? You'd go on site and you'd see somebody not doing something 
and I'd call them out, right? Because I, I learned a long time ago. I used to be, and I don't know if you've heard this story, but Michelle's dad was basically a contractor who built massive, massive projects, like of the billion dollar variety and was an owner's rep and really knew what he was talking about. Michelle and I were visiting them one Christmas and I think Michelle and I were trying to buy a house or something. And so we were going through that whole fix your credit report kind of stuff because something had shown up on my account that wasn't mine. Yeah, I got you. I'm talking to the discovery card people and I'm yelling at them, right? Because I've I've had it. (laughs) And most people have not really ever heard me yell because I don't really do it anymore. I used to yell all the time. And when I came down uh, talking to my father-in-law, and at a point he goes, you know, you would have made a good contractor. And I, and I was like, I don't know why he would say that, right? Like, he, he didn't know what I know. I, I don't yeah. mean like he knows a lot more than I know. That's not how I meant it. I was like, he doesn't know enough about me, Bob, as an architect and what my skill set or what my knowledge base is to make a comment like that. So I kind of said, why do you think I'd make a good contractor? He goes, you're really good at yelling at people. He goes, we all could hear you talking to those folks. And you mix like just the right amount of, of condescension and irritation <laughs> and superiority <laughs> to really make that an effective conversation. Yeah, and I, I thought, I was like, I don't know if I like that. <laughs> yeah, so that's one of those backhanded compliments. Is that a good thing? or? Yeah, I mean, I guess if you're going to do something, hearing that you're really good at it is would be a good thing. I don't like yelling at people. I found that it's much better to criticize somebody not by yelling at them and saying they're bad or they're you know they're stupid or whatever but when you criticize like their craftsmanship so if i see somebody not doing a good job and i say is that the best that you can do you know like i make it personal to them as a human being being reflected in the in the craft that we're seeing on whatever it is that they're doing yeah and and not screaming at them that to be so much more effective because nobody wants to think that they can't do what they do for a living very well. And so a lot of times people seem to project this, nobody cares, so why do I care? And then as soon as somebody kind of points out, I noticed it because I care. You clearly must not know what you're doing or not be very good at what you're doing because otherwise you wouldn't have done this, whatever that is. And then you get like such a different response from them as a, as a, as a person, as a worker, as a, someone doing their job. It's part of what makes the first part of that so kind of disappointing is that you have to point out to somebody that they're doing something they shouldn't be doing in order to get them to do what they probably know that they should be doing. Yeah. Maybe it's just a matter of time, right? I don't know. I mean, you deal with it probably more than I do with people that have some concern about craft. There is a percentage of people that work in commercial construction, though, that they don't care about that kind of stuff because they're just blowing and going. And I mean, I've had jobs where can't hire sheetrock crews because they're all too busy or something so they're just grabbing warm bodies because it's something anybody can operate a screw gun i mean at some point i mean all it depends i mean there's that's a variable on every project but and i i agree with you i'm not a yeller i've been yelled at a couple of times in my younger years by contractors right yelling at me like i didn't know what i was doing or whatever and that's just not the way to motivate me and i don't think that's a way to motivate somebody else so I'm not a big yeller. I do fall on those lines of trying to just say, I know you can do better than this. It just takes a little more effort or a little more focus. Yeah. I think about the care. You know, since we're remote, like you're in your house, I'm in my house, and I'm sitting here looking around the room that I'm in right now going, yeah, I see you right there. 
when I see that thing over there. <laughs> and I'm reminded when we painted this room that the last guys who painted it, they painted it like a battleship, right? They just kind of masked off some stuff and just like hosed paint on the walls. That's, I'm pretty sure that's what they did. So when we painted it, like we know how things are supposed to be done. So I went and I unscrewed outlet covers and light switch plates. And I took down the brackets that were holding the, the blinds on the window. And when I took off the blinds, I could see that they had painted not once, not twice, but three times without having removed the bracket. Yeah, to nice, nice. And I go, man, that's just not right. I mean, in their mind, who would notice? Yeah. And there's something built in. And I'm not trying to make it sound like architects as a species are fantastic because we think about it. Because I'm sure there are architects that don't think about it. And there's shortcuts. But here's a great example. You know our buddy Evan Troxel over on Speak podcast? Yeah. So, you know, he was talking, they've talked about this on their show a few times, and I've seen the pictures. He's a really hands-on guy. I don't know how well you know him, but if there's a project that needs to be done in his house, chances are he's going to do it himself. Yeah. I've seen on his Instagram feed, I've seen him take apart his washing machine because he was going to replace a drum. Yeah. I don't know that many people would tackle that particular project, and it wasn't a simple one. His washing machine was like in a hundred pieces on the floor of his utility room. Yeah. He took it all apart to replace this thing and put it back. Well, they talked about he ended up putting in new cabinets in his kitchen and he installed them himself. And then he learned how, because he wanted to do a concrete counter, figuring out how to make this work. And it wasn't a home run. Now, there were a couple of things that he said he didn't do right or he wished he had done better. But, you know, he's a good guy. He kind of shows you all the stuff that he did and what worked and what didn't work. And even this past weekend, he uh, he showed pictures of new baseboard that he was running in his house. And I think, I'm pretty sure that Evan hasn't laid a bunch of baseboard before, right? Not because it didn't look like he had done it, but he's got a lot going on. <laughs> you know, his job isn't a trim carpenter. Yeah. But you know that his attention to try to get this right and do it the right way and all those kind of moving parts are going to reflect in a product that's that's pretty good. Probably better than what he can afford. And I don't mean he being Evan, I mean he being the average person. What he would have to pay someone else to do it, in his mind, he's like, I'll do a better job for that amount of money. And that's a skill set that I think a lot of architects tend to internalize. And like, have you done much work on your own house? Like Andrew rolling up your sleeves. You talked about refinishing the floors and that rental. No. Yeah. I've done a lot. Not I've, just uh, demo, not just demo. <laughs> no, a demo remodel, built a few new walls, did a whole closet, redid some doors. When I bought the house, the, uh, the woman who lived here was in a wheelchair. So all the doors were basically out of the house like they had taken all the doors and frames out of the house and so i had to go back in and reframe all the doors and put new doors in and stuff like that because she was just easier for her not to have them and i retile the whole shower two showers so yeah i mean i used to work in a cabinet shop when i was in graduate school so i've done a lot of hands-on work and i worked in construction when i was younger so yeah a lot of work around my house still lots to do i don't know many architects that don't take on those projects themselves when they do it. Yeah. I mean, again, because I think part of it is this notion that you were just talking about of I'm going to be the only person that cares as much about this as I do. I mean, I think for some, not just architects, right, but for some homeowners, that's why they want to do DIY stuff because they care about it. And they don't think somebody else will. But I think that as an architect, it's kind of this twofold thing where you want to a, you know you're going to care about it, but B, we like to know stuff. We always want to know how to do stuff. So if we can figure out a way to do something related to our profession, I think we're just going to try it anyway. 
we may have some problems, but at least at that point, we'll know what the process is, and we actually like learning about those processes. I've always wanted to learn how to weld. I even took a welding class once. Yeah. And all I can think about is, what can I do so that I can weld more stuff? <laughs> right. I'm like yeah. coming up with ways. And I was even thinking about, okay, my holiday break is coming up, even though I don't think I'm going to have much time off. I'm thinking, okay, what projects can I tackle? Because this house, unlike my last house, it's it's all regular framed, drywall, wood trim, garbage yeah. pop. I mean, it's all stuff that if I dig into, I can fix. I can work on. Yeah. Your last house was all plaster, wasn't it, right? Yeah, it was all hard coat plaster yeah. over metal lath. And I go, man, that's a commitment, right? It wasn't just like a, if I move a, an outlet, it's not like a little patch. It's like, I got to redo the whole wall. Yeah. Probably not. My wife would probably say, no, you don't. <laughs> and I'd say, yeah, you do. You want it to match. You want everything. You don't want to look like you got a little patch job over here. Yeah, exactly. And she's like, ah, nobody will notice. Okay, Andrew, I don't know about you, but as a therapy session, I feel a lot better about myself. <laughs> yeah, I, f I feel better. I don't know about if I feel better about myself, but yeah, I feel better. <laughs> well, I was going to say, I don't know that I feel better just for complaining about all this stuff for, you know, 45 minutes, but I feel better knowing that I'm not alone and that I'm not crazy because other architects have the same experiences, the same thought process, the same results of they walk into a room and certain things trigger and make their eyes start flicking out. <laughs> exactly. It makes you want to shove an ice pick in your ear because it's just, oh, I can't believe somebody let that go. Well, at least I don't have any glass block in my house. That's saving grace. <laughs> yeah, I know. I know. No offense to the people that have it in their house, even though you shouldn't. You should get rid of it now, immediately. Everybody's got to peeve. That's your, like, one of your major sticking points. The glass block. I just don't get it. I just, I just don't get it. So. All right. Well, thank you for being with Andrew and I today for episode 14, Being an Architect is Hell. Pretty sure this episode could go on for like three more hours, but I'm going to call it. I'm totally sure that this was our best episode ever. For that reason, I would really appreciate it if you would take 30 seconds out of your day and head over to iTunes and leave us a five-star bronze medallion rating if you haven't already. It makes a huge difference, and your vote of confidence confirms how I should feel about myself. And me. <laughs> and Andrew. Be sure to visit the original lifeofanarchitect.com for show notes, links, info and photos from this episode even though they might blind you when you look at them thanks so much for tuning in have a great day see ya does it make sense now that you read it yeah 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 so i just like i said i just needed to the overall concept, I guess. Okay. Which type of hell were we investigating? <laughs> so you many, know? so many types of yeah. hell. Yeah, it's like Dante, right? There's like so many <laughs> different levels of hell, but I just needed to know which one we were going to do for the podcast. Yeah, we're going to do like level two hell. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sure, exactly. This is shallow stuff. You want to do some other? See ya. Yeah, I don't know. Um, uh, yeah, take care, everybody. Be safe out there. Yeah. <laughs> Wheels up in 30. Let's go.
somehow we've got this depth of that that lets us let that stuff roll off of us or but we can also get into it and it doesn't like i don't know doesn't become overly emotional in a way yeah i i hear the words you're saying and part of me wants to go immediately yeah i totally agree with that but you know there are times when somebody will say something and i want to go hey f- you <laughs> When I give some, I have this thing where I like praise something, but barely, you know, so it's kind of like if someone goes, Hey, how'd you like the potato salad? And I could think the potato salad was amazing. And I'll go, that's not the worst potato salad I've ever had. Yeah. I got you. And they're like, well, you didn't like it. And I go, no, I I did. It was good. It's good. Yeah. And that's like, that's not what you said. And I go, yeah, it is. And they're like, no, it wasn't. You said it wasn't the worst you ever had. (laughs) <laughs> and I go, well, that would be bad, right? If it was the worst. Yeah, this was I, not the worst. It's not the worst. I know. Now I'm much more aware of the fact that I'm like, yeah, I'm hanging in there or, you know, I can't complain or whatever. Like, I never go, man, I'm doing great. Life is awesome. You know, I mean, even if it is and even when it was right, I was just like, yeah, I'm OK. Yeah. I got asked that today. There's like, how you doing? I said, I'm, I'm, I said something along the lines of I'm keeping it together. Yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> that sounds that sounds bad. <laughs> I know exactly. It's like I always make it sound like I'm, you know, I'm about to die. But it was like, yeah, no, I'm you just... got you got one foot on the ledge and the exactly. other one dang, dangling over the. You know, like how are you doing, man? Barely keeping it together, man. <laughs> what? Yeah. Oh no. yeah, did I tell you I'm about to go on a sweet vacation? I'm barely keeping it together. I know exactly. Well, man, I'm. I don't know. I'm all right. It's not bad. I mean, I'm going to be gone for a couple of weeks, going to the Bahamas. But you know, could be better. 